Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Sunstein Sessions on iHeartRadio. Conversations about issues that matter. Here's your host, winner of two Gracie Awards, Shelley Sunstein. Good morning. I am sitting here with an Oscar nominee. That's not your everyday Sunday, although it has happened from time to time. I am so honored to be next to the one and only Tom Berenger, Oscar nominated for Platoon, also known for Looking for Mr. Goodbar. God, that movie scared the crap out of me. <laughs> and also The Big Chill and, and so many more. And also sitting with me, the man who wrote and directed his latest movie, Carmine Cangiolosi. The movie is American Dresser. You can see it VOD, so whenever you like. And the best way for me to describe this movie, because I recently resaw. Easy Rider, because Peter Fonda, Fonda came up here, so I had to see it again. Yeah. So this is the 2018 version of Easy Rider, in a sense, because you're on a motorcycle, the American Dresser. Uh, oh, and by the way, Billy Gibbons has his song, uh, American Dresser, in this movie, another movie, a reason to see this movie. Um, but it's uh, a road trip that you take... Um, with your friend who you co-starred with in Platoon, Keith David, Mm -hmm. um, you take a road trip across the United States because you have an issue you have to deal with. Well, actually, you have several issues you have to deal with. Your wife, played by Gina Gershon in Flashbacks, uh, has left you, uh, departed this world, and so you're in mourning, but she had kept a secret from your character, over the years, and therein, and and you have a problem with substance abuse, with alcohol, and being estranged from your family. I mean, just a couple of issues, and nothing like a long road trip across the United States from Long Island to Oregon to clear your head to, to try to clear <laughs> your head and get into some trouble along the way and meet new friends along the way. Is that the gist of it? Pretty that's, much. That's it. And, and, and the whole thing becomes a kind of an epiphany my character but also i think keith keith david's character as well yes yeah, exactly we're we're both uh vietnam vets that have been living with that you know for so many years and um i guess it helps clear our heads a little bit and accept things as they are carmine you wrote this you directed it where did the idea come from um actually it the uh, the basis of it came from a conversation with my father him and I uh, both ride motorcycles. He's been riding his whole life. And I was looking to do something next with another film. And he had this premise. And being very close with my father, I, he's like, do you want to write? I said, oh, I, I kind of like this idea. It's, it's cool. You know, he had this premise of really like three friends and going cross country. And I said, okay, that's cool. But I need something more than just friends going cross country. And he's like, do you want to write it together? And I said, absolutely not. We would kill each other, even though we're very close. Um, so he laughed about it, and I just went off and kind of took this premise and just kind of kept getting into it more and more and more. And as I got into it, it just kept evolving on its own, very organic way. Um, 
I've never written an album or anything, but I always attest writing a screenplay for myself is like writing an album. You kind of know the vibe of it. And um, then when you get people like Tom and Keith David to come in, they bring their instruments and they kind of take that album and just kind of explodes into a much better place. So, yeah. How did you get Tom Berenger? I was very lucky. Uh, we had a, uh, I had a very good casting agent and he um, suggested Tom. And I said, you think we can get Tom Berenger? And they said, well, we can make a call. And uh, we sent it over to him. And as it turned out, his people uh, kind of got it over to him, I think. And he was interested enough to get on the phone with me. And then I think we were on the phone for like two hours that day. I mean, we're always on the phone for hours, it seems like, at this point when we get on the phone. But uh, so we talked about two hours about that day. And he really liked the project and got it, which was really important to me. I wanted to get the right person because it was a very important project for myself. And uh, he got it. And then like we were hanging up. I said, all right, well, where do you live? And he says, I live over here. And I said, I'll see you in like two days. He's like, wait, you're coming here to see me? I said, yeah, absolutely. I want to, we need to talk in person. So we went down I, I went to his home. He was kind enough to have me there. And I met him and his wife. And I don't think we've stopped talking since. <laughs> Did you actually ride a motorcycle across country or is it just like Well, areas? no, no. I mean, and that's, that's the thing. We shot this in upstate New York and we managed to make, I mean, there were, places downtown that we used as Manhattan or, or, uh, and we did Long Island out there. Uh, and we shot some stuff up. We shot like at the New York, uh, world's fairgrounds mm -hmm. up there. I mean, the New York state fairgrounds. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we put a call out to all these riders and we kind of made Sturgis out of that. Um, and we shot up around the finger lakes and the apple orchards up there. And we found one location that we used for uh, Penelope Ann Miller's house. Uh, yeah, somewhere in Middle America. And then just down the road, there were all these cornfields. And I said, well, this could be Indiana, Illinois, you know, eastern Nebraska, Iowa. So, you know, we got a little Midwestern going in there. Um, they, uh, uh, Carmine and a couple doubles went out and shot stuff like, Aerial shots, yeah, in, in like Arizona, Utah, uh, California, California, Pacific Coast Highway. I did get. I first shot the movie was actually on the beach in California. Yeah, because yeah, I was right. out there, went out, picked up a shot of me waking up on the beach. Yeah, so it it looked like California, also, of course, because it was. <laughs> and you you got like a who's who to star in this movie. I mean, this is not a. A big budget movie. Nope. Gina Gershon. Yep. I mean, come on. Penelope Ann Miller. Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern, yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, a small role, but Bruce what Dern a great is, character. I mean, Bruce Dern what is What a great character wonderful. it is, yeah. You yeah. know, he seems to be getting more work yeah. in, in yeah. his later years yeah. than he did. Like, there was a, a, a dearth, a period where, I guess, I, I don't know how it works in Hollywood, but Almost it like seems to me if you, if, you, if you are brave enough to look your age... Uh -huh. chances are it comes back where you can get the roles again. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting because He's so I, great. when I wrote this film, I, I felt like I needed to do that to make the film I wanted to make. So I knew I needed really good people and really good parts, but I didn't want to feel like it was being forced. Like, oh, this person's just in there just because they're in there. I wanted to have a real good role for them so they would want to do the film. And as it progressed, uh, I guess the time came on. And then I think, I don't really know the order, how it came, but it started just, it was almost like, who wants to jump in the pool first and see if the water's good? And Tom cannonballed in, and uh, once we got to know each other. And then I think as it went, I think uh, Jeff Fahey, who's also in the film too, he's terrific, um, he jumped in. And then it was like almost like a domino effect, not so quickly, but then it was Gina, Penelope, and then 
once we got Bruce Dern, and even uh, an actress that I really admire, uh, Catherine Arducci, who's in a lot of uh, mm-hmm. stuff yeah. too. She was in it as well. So it just wasn't kinda, she in the Sopranos? She was in the Sopranos. I recognize. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a great TV show uh, that was. Oh, it was great. And, and, uh, and we and we actually picked up more shots, like actually out at at, at Sturgis yeah. the next year. We got we got shots there. So actually, the shots of me uh, walking through downtown on Main Street, nobody knew we were we were shooting. Yeah, this camera was like. Wow. Yeah, secret. We had, we had a great Did you see man. Jay Leno there? You know, he's there every year. No, oh, we haven't no. seen him. He's <laughs> yeah. there every year. I, no, never have That was where him. he would take his vacation because he was, yep. when he was doing The Tonight Show, he would not take off. And when he was off, he would go do stand up, I yeah. think, in Hermosa yeah. Beach. Like, this was he's a, guy a work- who loved He's a workaholic. Work. Yeah. But, all right, so I'm sitting here but, with Tom you know, We Berger. were, like, in the Badlands and the Black Hills, uh, and so we got all that stuff as well. Yeah, it was yeah. really good. And the prairies. So we, we could use that anywhere, cut it in anywhere as the Midwest. I'm sitting with Tom Berenger and also Carmine Cangiolosi, uh, Tom Berenger's stars in American Dresser, which was written and directed by Carmine Cangiolosi. I mean, what a career, Tom, over the years. I mean, how many movies are in your resume? I, I really don't know. You didn't count. I have. I never counted. I, I, and I've forgotten some, but I don't know. How do you pick a role now? Uh, well, I, I mean, it, it's like, it's not just the character. It's got to be the story, because the play is the thing, as Shakespeare said, or mm-hmm. Hamlet said, for Shakespeare. The play is a thing. So you could have a great character, but if the rest of the plot, the story is not there, eh, it's meaningless. It's wasted. What advice would you give to people who are first starting out in acting? Because you've lived this life your whole life. You have a lot of wisdom to share. I try to advise them not to do it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, like I certainly did that with my kids, and none of them are in it, and I'm I'm happy about that. Yeah, why? I I, I don't know because I uh, a lot of I, I just yes, it's a lot of rejection. It's it, you have to have the height of a rhinoceros and and uh, to pick up after another defeat, another failure. It's like, I guess a little bit like being a salesman, maybe you know, and um, uh it's just you know, I don't know. I, and I, and also I I don't really like the business the way it is today. So my best and fondest years were back then, you know. What is it that you days. don't like? Well, they have actors doing auditions, you know, on their computers instead of going in and meeting, yeah. you know, meeting the casting yeah. director. It, uh, it it's it's all technical. Your big movies are just technical technical you know huge huge movies that make billions of dollars but there's no room for smaller movies uh which you know in the old days could win an academy award or something well they still do i mean that was why they were talking <clears throat> about you, this can... this popular category popular movies yeah. which immediately says to the viewer well if it's a popular movie then it's not oscar worthy right which you can't Always say hello, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Well, you can count them on one hand. Well, yeah, virtually, yeah, yeah. If I could uh, say something about what you were saying before about getting into the business, and, and Tom made a point, like you really have to have thick skin. Um, I know from my experiences, obviously, I, 
this man has done a million more things than I've ever done and probably will do in my career. But what I found very interesting about this, you have to have that sort of way about yourself and um, they say, I'm going to succeed at this, whether you want to open a restaurant, whether you want to make a film, whatever it is, you you know, it's the same sort of uh, mentality that you have to know that I'm doing this. Like when I r- started writing this, there was no doubt that I was making this. Now, how it was getting made and who was going to be in it was a whole different conversation. Um, I personally like that sort of challenge, you know, I don't know if I could ever stop this process along the way. Like, and there were many, I mean, up until there was the yeses that came in, it was all no's. I mean, it, but you have to just believe in yourself and, and, and work hard. And if you have support with your friends, cause there's so much no, but if you, you know, but the one yes, like getting this conversation with him on the phone that he wanted to be interested, washed away all the no's over the, you know, I started writing this in 2002 and it was slowly wow. evolving, slowly evolving. And then you have to raise the finance and you have to do all these other things. Mm-hmm. So to make the films that Tom's talking about, that still really isn't popular, but I, I always knew that I wanted to make the throwback type of films that he's talking about that were in the late 60s and 70s. And I always kind of see this as like a modern day Western that you could connect to even if you don't ride. I mean, if you ride, it's just something, it's just a bonus, you know? Um, but I feel like this has the same sort of, for a writer, it has the same sensibility as like a Rocky, where Rocky's not really a boxing movie. It's really about Adrian and Rocky. But his journey is to go fight this champion, where Tom's movie isn't really about riding cross country. It's really about this guy trying to rediscover himself. He just happens to have a motorcycle that he takes on that wind therapy as he crosses the country. So it is tough to do. But I think like anything else, the pendulum always swings both ways. You know, we're like, this was the huge thing about the big budgeted movies and, and there, there's a place for everything. But I think now it's when things get too bloated, they tend to start going in the other direction. So I'm hoping that filmmakers have more opportunities to make films like this because that, you know, you could choose something on your phone or you could choose other things now. And it does help that independent spirit kind of revitalize itself. And when guys like Tom and the and Keith David are on film together, it's like, you need these sort of guys to kind of go, yeah, we'll help you out. They don't need to, you know, but they do. And that's what everybody's kind of, comes together to make a movement, you know, come back. Tom Berenger, is there anything you haven't done in this business you would like to do? Well, I, I, I think the only thing that keeps niggling around in the back of my mind is is uh, doing a long a long run of a really good play and doing it like in the West End of London and Broadway and Chicago, um, maybe Los Angeles. Um Toronto, those uh, Philadelphia, those kind of places, uh, but that it would have to be a good one, and and it, you, where you could do a long run. And I ran into Glenn Close. It was a, a thirty-year reunion of the Big Chill at the Toronto Film Festival. It was a lovely time. We got talking, and somehow I mentioned that I said I'd really like to do that. She goes, well, "What are you thinking?" And I said. Lion and Winter, she goes, ooh, that's a good one. I go, it's not just those two characters, you know, the King Henry and, and Eleanor of Aquitaine. I said, it's, it's the sons, it's it's all the other characters in there. And it's funny, and it's it's good. And um, she says, yeah, that is a good one. I go, think about it. That would be awesome. That would be incredible. Yeah. Breaking news. I, I think, And I just <laughs> say, I, I think it would be good for me, too. You, you know what I'm saying? It'd just be... Because this is where it all started. 
That's right. So <laughs> it's take me back all the way back home. Full circle. <clears throat> so I want to thank you, Tom Berenger, and also Carmine Cangiolosi, the movie American Dresser. You can get it on VOD. How lucky am I that I get to sit next to these guys and talk oh, to them? You know, oh, how I, sweet. I love my job. <laughs> thank I'll you. be back in a minute with more Q104.3. <laughs> Sunstein Sessions continues on iHeartRadio. Once again, Shelly Sunstein. Good morning. I have often told you how much I love watching documentaries because I learned so much from a documentary. And I want to share with you a documentary you can now see on Netflix. You must see this because you're going to be shocked, appalled, outraged, and hopefully it will be a call to action and a call to consciousness raising. It's called City of Joy, and um, it is about a haven and a healing place for women who are the victims of sexual violence in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, you're going to say, why should I care about this? How does this speak to my life? Well, what I didn't realize, I had thought when it came to war, Rape was a spoil of war. This documentary showed to me that rape can and is being used as a weapon of war. Think of rape instead of bullets and bombs. Think of rape as a way of tearing down a society. And that's what this movie is all about. I want to introduce you to Madeline Gavin, who is the director, and Christine Schuler. De- oh, Deschriver. Deschriver. Okay. Christine Schuler Deschriver, who is the director of the incredible City of Joy. First, Madeline, this is the first time you've made a documentary, although you are an Emmy nominated. Uh, filmmaker, what drove you to do this? Um, well, I, yeah, I have primarily been an editor in in my life of both narrative and documentary work. And um, the way I came to this was I was, uh, when Eve Ensler and V-Day were doing their work around the world, you know, trying to stop violence against women and girls, There was a certain point at which Eve called me and she said, you know, when I'm traveling around the world, there's often a camera sort of following me around and I don't see the footage. Nobody really sees the footage. And she said, would you want to have that footage sent to you and you can start creating web pieces? So I said, sure. Um, So I I received some footage from different parts of the world, Afghanistan and Kenya and, and other things. And I created these little pieces for the web. And when Eve first went to Congo in 2007, I received footage from that trip. And that was the first time that I really understood what was going on in Congo. I mean, I had known about Congo from Joseph Conrad. I had I knew about the colonial past. I knew about some vague, you know, violence or that, you know, had occurred there long ago. Um And I knew about the genocide in Rwanda in 1994, but I didn't know about the civil wars and the violence that had been going on in Congo for like 15 years. Nor did I. And you mentioned Eve Ensler. And yes, that is Eve Ensler of the Vagina Monologues. Yes, Eve Ensler of the Vagina Monologues. And I did not know, although I did see the Vagina Monologues when my friend uh, Donna Hanover was in it. I didn't realize that Eve Ensler was the victim of sexual violence herself. I didn't know her background. 
Um, okay, Christine lives this life in the Democratic Republic of Congo and is the director of City of Joy. Tell us what the women there are facing. Tell us the reality that is depicted here and why City of Joy is so necessary as a place where these women can heal, learn, and build new lives and become leaders in their communities. Uh, when Eve Ensler uh, came to Congo in, 2000, in 2007, she is the first one and probably the only one who asked the survivors what they wanted. And they told her, we want a safe place where we can be healed and we can be empowered. So at that moment, we started, you know, like to design some to design something with the Congolese with the Congolese women and to create this amazing um, place where um, survivors of gender violence but at the end all of them are sexual uh, uh, survivors they can be between 18 and 30 years old can come for six months for uh, therapy and also to to be trained in um, in a leadership uh, in a leadership uh, program so they have a haven for 6 months where they live they learn they heal together and they feel love amongst themselves but when we're talking about rape as a weapon of war dr dennis mukwege who uh is a co-founder of the city of joy he's a gynecologist he has performed reconstructive surgery on 40 thousand women who were raped now when i i had no idea that sometimes this surgery involves removing their rectum removing their bladder you're talking about the devastation of a body you're not just talking about sexual intercourse that is unwanted you're talking about complete brutality but i want you to explain christine or madeline what you mean by rape as a weapon of war? How is this used to to to, to declare war on these communities, and why? You know, first of all, I don't talk about rape anymore uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I'm talking about sexual terrorism, because um, you know, Congo is one of the richest country uh, in in the world. And what we had... Mineral-wise. Min, mineral, yes, of course. And uh, it's an economic war. So when um, all the militias and the people who rape the women, when they go into villages, they, they are just there to terrorize the population and to rape them in, a, in, in the worst way. I mean, most of the time they even force, you know, like the father to rape, to rape uh, the daughter in front of the mother or the son to rape the mother in front of all the family and all the villages to rape babies. Because as you, as you saw in the film, a six-month babies, you know, died in my arms uh, who, who was raped. So it's not like a sexual need because the one who witness and they see what's going on, so what do you think they do? They leave the, the, the villages and, and then people occupy the villages so they can they they can plunder. They can plunder. So the, the goal is just to 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 use the bodies of women and children as a as a battleground. So when you survive, the only thing you want is to leave. 
And I have to say that uh, many girls, uh, many young women and girls who, who, who came to City of Joy, it's a little bit, you know, not sad, but uh, you feel revolted when you hear them, when you, when, when you hear them saying, oh, my God, if they just came and raped us normally, I mean, with no injuries, you know, we, we, we just go to the river, we take a shower and we wouldn't even talk about it. So imagine the number of women who just decided to shut up and not to talk because they weren't injured. And I have to say, like Jane, like Jane, one of the main characters in the film, until now she had 11 surgery. And I know that they, they can never repair, repair her because when... Because they put, you know, they they they, they put uh, uh, guns in your vagina. Sometimes they put fire, you know, you know, with gas and fire in in your vagina. They introduce all different kind of things. So you have your intestines, you have your, you know, so many organs are destroyed. It's not just a gynecologist who can who can repair. It's a whole, it's a, like a holistic team, you know, to try to repair. Because now we are talking about reparation and not healing. Madeline, when I was watching this, I'm thinking to myself, why is the world standing by? Yeah. Why is the world standing by? Well, where, that, where is the UN? Where are where are all of us? Right. Well, that that's what made me want to make this film was when I heard those first stories and I just was shattered by what I was hearing. And I was like, how is it possible that I didn't know about this? And then at the same time, there was this kind of strength and resilience in these women who were telling these stories. And I was like, how do they have this strength and resilience? You know, I would be on the floor and never get up again. So when City of Joy was being built, you know, by Christine and Dr. McCoy and Eve, that was when I thought, you know what, we should make a film. You know, we should follow the first class because what is, first of all, the word has to get out there and people need to know. And second of all, what is this incomprehensible strength that I was seeing? And amazingly, you know, in the first class, you see it, you see it there as well. I mean, you see it, as you know, in the film. Um, so that's the thing that's so incredible is, A, yes, why aren't we doing something? Why don't we, why didn't we know? And B, how amazing these women are and how much we can learn from their power and strength and resilience and their determination to find a future for themselves and their countries. I mean, it's, it's amazing. We're talking about City of Joy. It's a documentary you can now see on Netflix, and it's directed by Madeline Gavin. And Christine Schuler Deschriver is um, the director of City of Joy, which is a haven, a six-month haven for victims of sexual violence, sexual warfare um, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So what what is it, Christine, that women need in order to heal, how is it that these women that you work with every day can heal and others in our own society are paralyzed by sexual abuse and rely on drugs to treat the sexual abuse? You, are any drugs used in City of Joy? Not at all. Wow. You know, what we use is love. And I really and truly believe in the power of love. Because you know, also the women when they arrive at city at city of uh, city of joy, uh, when you hug them, most of the time they think you have so your hands are magic, because they told me you know 
you know, our mothers, my mother is Congolese, you know, and I don't remember my mother hugging me. So the girls, when they are at City of Joy, they told me, you know, the only time somebody touched us, it was to rape us or to beat us. Mm. And by the time, you know, you value a woman, you you show her that she's beautiful and that her life matters. Trust me, it changed the whole thing. We had a woman, woman arrive, you know, from also from psychiatric. And I have to say, you know, I, I changed the whole like medication, you know, with placebo. I, I gave them, you know, these, uh, these MAMs. And, and after, said they were medicine. Yeah. So, and they yeah. thought they, 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 it, it was medicine. And I have to say also the, the, the therapy that we use, you know, like art therapy, it's something because uh, in Africa we live in communities. So we had to come, you know, with this uh, approach of com this community, community approach. And we have, we have a amazing, amazing result. Now, the other question is, how do you get someone to watch City of Joy on Netflix? How do you convince someone? Because this is a difficult topic. And there are a lot of options out there. But at the same time, at the same time, it gives hope. Because, you know, we had to put the film in a context because nobody knows, most of the people, you know, when I'm in New York, people ask me, where are you from? And then I say Congo. It's like, oh, my God, where is Congo? So Madeleine, it was, it was a very difficult job for Madeleine, you know, to, to put and to explain people the whole, you know, the complexity of the history of Congo for people, for people to, 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 to understand. And I think she did it well. And also, I hope it will show people that when you do something with the grassroots, that's the only way you can change things and not, you know, to bring to the top. Because what Vide did and does in Congo, no... That's your organization, Vide. V Vide, it's, it's our movement. Not an institution. You talked about the UN. You know how we call them in Congo. It's united nothing. Because they are just there to observe, but I don't know to observe what, doing, doing, doing nothing. And what VDA did, it's much more with less money than all the, what these uh, institutions did. I understand that, but isn't it that only 183 women a year can actually participate and graduate from City of Joy? And you're talking about how many thousands, how many thousands of women do need this help? For, for example, a lot, thousands and thousands, probably 10, uh, yeah, a, a lot of them. But we already have uh, 11, more than 1,100 graduated. And when they leave City of Joy, they have a mission. So they have to go and spread everything they learned at City of Joy. So they created networks in their community. And you have no idea. You know, when women are together, when we talk about solidarity, it's amazing, you know, like to denounce, to mobilize and to galvanize people. It's it just and I have to say it's so unexpected. The the other the other thing is, um, you know, there is a palpable joy at City of Joy. And that's something that when I experienced it, I wanted to find it in the shooting. I wanted to find it in the editing. I mean, it it's in the film. And so that's another when you say why it should is. people watch it? It's yeah. like there is this, you know, sort of incomprehensible, palpable joy 
there's irreverence, there's humor. So this film has yeah. a lot more than than the tragedy, and that's what's so extraordinary, you and know, about you, that, about it, and about the women. And really. you can see City of Joy on Netflix. And if you missed any part of this interview or others I've done, uh, you can download the iHeartRadio app for free. And my podcasts are on Sunstein Sessions. And I'll see you guys tomorrow morning on the Jim Kerr Rock and Roll Morning Show, Q1043. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.